find myself a little nervous this morning, and, and the reason is I texted my mom, you know, happy Mother's Day this morning, and then she uh, texted me right back just before I walked up here, and she said, oh, you know, thank you so much. I'm, I'm watching. I just turned it on. I'm going to watch you. So there's that. <laughs> so, Mom, happy Mother's Day. And uh, um, Colossians 1. So we'll, 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 I'm going to read it in just a second. We'll start in verse 9 and go to 14. It's a prayer. And let me tell you a little bit about, let me tell you what it's about, what Paul's doing in this prayer, which really is, uh, turns out, one of my favorite Pauline prayers. And I'll, I'll I'll tell you about, I was reading, uh, I came across on, a, on my Apple News an article, maybe you read it this week, um, it was in Vanity Fair, and it was an interview uh, with a woman, Kelly Williams Brown, and if you don't know who that is, uh, that's okay, she, but 10 years ago, she wrote a book called Adulting. So maybe you've heard that term in the culture. Well, she invented it, and the title of the book was Adulting, How to Become a Grown-Up in 468 Easy-ish Steps. So it was a New York Times bestseller. I mean, everybody was reading it. So the interview's 10 years later. She's 37 years old. She's got a new book, and the new book is called Easy Crafts. And I have no idea why it's called that, um, but, but the sub title of it is it, that it's documenting 700 bad days. That include, and, and let me just be clear, I, I'm, I'm not throwing shade on uh, Kelly Williams Brown at all. I, th- this is not my intention. I was just, I was just fascinated by it. Um, a 27-year-old writing a book about how to, how to become a, uh, an adult, um, you know, with lots of uh, wisdom. Anyways, I'll stop. But, but anyway, so, so this, is, this is what she says about this book. She, she, it includes her failed marriage. This, this is after 10 years. Three broken limbs. The end of several close relationships. Which, by the way, the, the adulting book was the practical advice on friendships and everything else. You're sure to encounter. Again, I'm not making fun. I really am not. I'm not. I promise. The end of several close relationships and a harrowing experience with depression that resulted in a suicide attempt. And so she's asked about the book she wrote 10 years ago. And she says, I was really, really signing people up for disappointment. In adulting, I was writing it as a non-functional person. And some people interpret it as I'm now a lifestyle expert, which is the opposite of what I was. Some, uh, uh, and it's hard because I'm not. Um, You know, I I wasn't an expert. No matter what it came across, you know, um, wasn't there to give, you know, my advice wasn't right or whatever. I, I don't, but, but, and then she goes on the rest of the article to give advice on how to live life. But anyways, the Gnostics, it, so what's Paul's prayer about? Well, he, remember, he's writing to the Colossians. The Colossians have people, group people that are harassing them, and, and they're the Gnostics or the pre-Gnostics probably. Gnostic means knowledge. They were the, the ones that were, um, uh, had, a, had a philosophy of 
of knowledge. They were putting themselves out to the Colossians as the spiritual experts. This is how you're to be spiritual. This is what you need to do and how you need to do it. They were, uh, like I said, the philosophers. And philosophy is literally two, you know, two words, phileo and sophia, uh, you know, lovers of sophia, lovers of wisdom. But it was a philosophy that was concerned uh, with man, it was sort of grounded in anthropology, in 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 the in in man. So, so becoming your greatest self, becoming uh, you know, uh, transcending all the things that are keeping you down. And they started with this man-centered approach to the most important questions in life. And the truth is, that's the default way of the human mind. We, we, we want to know, okay, how can we improve? How can we, you know, be a, how can we transcend? And, and whoever the gods are, whatever they are, how do we appease those gods? And it may be that the God you're trying to appease is your better self. And you're, you know, you're just trying to coax your better self out. And, and the truth is, what Paul's writing is saying, Christianity is entirely different than this. See, you got to start with this. God's holier than we even know. And we are actually more desperate than we can admit. And Christian spirituality is entirely grounded in God. What he has done, not what you can do it, and it's entirely grounded in Jesus. And Paul's making the case, Jesus is supreme, and he is sufficient. We do not add to what Jesus has done. We live out what he's done. And what he's done is he's reconciled us, and he's made us whole. And the Gnostics were coming in and going, look, Jesus is fine, and he's a great start, but there's more. And there are Gnostics all around us. Christianity says, no, 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 Jesus is the beginning and he's the end. He's the author and the perfecter of our faith. It's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. And it is about a righteousness, a perfection that's imputed to me. It's, it's counted to me. So there's nothing for me to achieve or attain. It, it, there's a simplicity, a divine simplicity to spirituality. It is not 486 steps to anything. It is not a lifelong striving to become something in the future that we are not and never will be. I want to be clear, it, it is a lifelong striving, a, a, a striving for obedience to live out what we already are, to live our absolutely assured and secure future here and now. See here, let me say it this way, let me see if I can say it this way. The moment that you're saved, all of a sudden, the moment that you're saved, it's like you're from the future. You're a new creation. 
putting off the old, putting on the new, and now striving to live out your future self, the future self that you already are in the world right now. And so, so this is what Paul is praying. Now, listen to the prayer. Colossians 1, beginning in verse 9. I'm going to read the whole prayers, five verses long. Somebody in the, James asked me, you, five verses, you're going to be able to get through it all. I don't know. We'll try, all right? Here's the way Paul says it. Now, I'm going to read this, and I'm going to pray for us. And, and so, from the day we heard, meaning the, we heard about your salvation, and we heard about your faith, and your love, and your hope. We heard that you, you believed in the truth that was given to you. So, so, and so from the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience, with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. And he's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. If you would bow with me. Father, help us this morning. Pray, Father, we'd leave here convinced of all the truth that Paul says about what you have done and are doing through your Son, Jesus, in our life right now. That, Father, we'd walk out of here praying this prayer for ourselves and for those that we love those that are around us, those that are sitting in front of us and behind us and next to us, and those that we'll bump into this week, Father, that this would be the prayer. That we're constantly, as Paul says, not ceasing that we pray this that way in Jesus' name. Amen. You might say it this way. It's a prayer for sanctification. It's a prayer for spiritual growth. He's praying believers, they would discern God's will, and then they'd have the power to live out God's will. Praying they'd be filled with the knowledge of God. Because they were at risk of this false teaching that was making its way in, this false teaching that was promising knowledge. Paul's going to use all their words against them, if you will. It's a knowledge 
that says, hey, listen, there's a next level to come. And, 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 and people say that, things like that to us. We hear those kinds of things all the time. There's more that, you know, there's this next level. There's the secret. There's this, you know, and, and, and what they were teaching is all these things, these physical things that we encounter. All these physical realities, they're a virus, and, and what you need is the knowledge to transcend out of what's physical into ethereal, escape the world around you. The true happiness and, and spiritual, it comes from disengagement from the world, including relationship. But Christianity, listen, it's not about disengagement. It's about full, earthly, bodily real-life engagement. And prayer is not meant to escape life. It, it's meant to meet whatever comes in life. You know, what, what am I supposed to pray for? You ever ask that? What am I supposed to pray for? How am I supposed to pray? Well, Paul answers the question. And so he says, I heard about your salvation. I heard about when the truth of God's word, the gospel, it came to you. I heard about this, and I haven't stopped praying for you since then. And what I've been doing is I've been asking God, that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and spiritual understanding. You carry spiritual to, to both wisdom and understanding. See, at, at its core, Colossians, this whole letter is about the supremacy of Christ and how the supremacy of Christ is where we get our identity from. It's what he calls them at the beginning. Remember, to, to the saints in Christ in Colossae. What it means is they're from a future kingdom living in the present age because of what God has done for them in the past. And it's amazing. And so are you, by the way. And so it's a, it's a model prayer, if you will. And Paul's prayer here, he says, it's unceasing. And, and it's not praying for a new spiritual experience. It, it, we need to grow in the experience we've already had. This is what he's saying. And that experience demands it. So, so we rely upon the truth of God's Word, not our feelings as the authority of our life, but that God's Word is the authority of our life. Well, what He says is the authority in our life. To be filled is this word, pleroma. It, it describes what God, you know, what's God, what God's done to us and, and what we are receiving, what, what God does. See, he prays they'd have the knowledge of his will, but not just knowledge. There's a word, knowledge, that's gnosis, where you get the word Gnostic from. He prays here, you would have the epinosis of God, like the uber-knowledge. If you, if you speak about the epidermis of the skin, it's that layer that's 
on the, it's the farthest out layer of the skin. If you talk about something that's epic, it's because it's above everything else. That, that the knowledge of God that Paul's praying, it would be filled with this uber knowledge of God's will. And so, so you say, okay, well, what's God's will? Paul would say that you and I would be in God's will. Well, what's his will? That we would be in his will. The knowledge that this always lines up. God's will always lines up with how God sees things. His vision. It doesn't always line up with ours. One of the hints, so, so Paul gives us, we'll look at it in a couple of weeks. So if you went to chapter 2, verse 4, what he prays, what he says there is that he doesn't want them to be deluded with plausible arguments. So, so we'll talk more about that when we get there. But it is to say this, that, that God's will is oftentimes at odds with the plausible arguments of our day. And essentially, he doesn't say ridiculous arguments, outlandish arguments, unbelievable arguments, plausible arguments, but God's will is different. It's, it's different than the plausible arguments, the the arguments that appeal to our own will and our own desire and our own comforts. In fact, there are countless Christian books, if you, know, if you will, that fall into this category. And you can spot them because they're not focused on God. They're, actually, they're focused on you. They're saturated with principles, how to take you know, the next 30 or 50 years of, of your life that you have left and make them the most fulfilling that they can be. And they represent a way of seeing the world with you at the center of it, where you can get the most of this life by taking charge of your emotions and your actions. And the key to happiness is getting a better vision for where you want to be and then changing your behavior to get there, modifying your behavior so that you can start living your dream. And it sounds good, and they might even give a nod to God here and there. They, oh, they always do. But what you find is they're grounded in the temporary, not the eternal. They feed your will and your desires, but doesn't do much to orient you to God's will and His desires. So, so here's a thing to say. Do you, do you realize it, that it might be God's will that you would suffer for a particular season in your life? That you might experience poverty or sickness? Or, or that persecution might be part of God's will in your life because of his infinite wisdom and goodness and grace and, and suffering and disappointment bring glory to him beyond our comprehension. We'll see it in a moment, but Paul, Paul's prayer, he, he prays with an eye towards endurance and patience and joy. And endurance and patience are are the kinds of things you talk about when you're faced with situations and circumstances that you wouldn't choose. 
I, I tell you, I never wake up and think. I, you know, I, I did not have enough frustrating moments in my life yesterday. <laughs> I, didn't get any chan- I, I didn't get any chance to practice any patience. So I'm, Lord, I really, would you bring some irritating people to my life? <laughs> I never think that way. Patience, endurance, and joy. Those go hand in hand with things like suffering or isolation or loneliness or temptation or sickness or broken relationships. It's the kind of language you employ when you're faced with the struggle in your marriage. I'll tell you, divorce, that's temporary vision. That's here and now vision. Reconciliation, healing, those are part of eternal vision. It's Paul Price. I want you to be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And this uber knowledge and spiritual wisdom and spiritual understanding of Paul's intentionally taking these Gnostic terms and redeeming them. There's God's perspective that we'd have the mind of Christ. That our thinking would resemble Jesus' thinking. And all this is for a purpose. It, it's, Paul has a purpose in this. Not that you just get smarter. I mean, I pray that you'd be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual understanding Then at the end of the day, you'd have a lot of notes written in your Bible. That's not what he's saying. There's a reason for this. And in verse 10, he says that it's so as or for the purpose of walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. And then he describes it, bearing fruit in every good work and Increasing in the knowledge of God and being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience and joy, with joy. And giving thanks to the, to the Father. The purpose is so that we walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. To, to walk, to, to, to live, it's described the overflowing of being filled with the knowledge of God's will. In some ways, think about it this way. We become conduits for God's will in this world. We're who God's will gets translated through as we walk, as we live, as we go about the way. And walking, this is normal activity of human beings. The word worthy, 
it can feel like a burden. None of us are ever going to have a walking around life that adequately resembles that of Jesus, who's sinless in thought and word and deed. And the, the, word, the word worthy is, this, is to be axios, and it means, you know, to be on an axis or to, you know, like an axe, you split a piece of wood right down the middle. It's, it's, it's this idea that things would be divided evenly. They, they would be balanced, congruent. That what we know and what we believe would be congruent with how we walked around in our everyday life. These would be the same. I'm always struck. You, you, you know, you don't, you don't, every time a, you know, sport, it's a sports analogy. I know it's Mother's Day and I'm doing a sports analogy and I'm so sorry. I felt real dangerous ground trying to do like a mom illustration or a something, all right? So, sport, I default to sports. But you see these athletes, you know, I mean, you hear about them all the time. And, I, you know, it's, a really, it's always sad. You know, you got these athletes that are, that are the epitome of, of discipline and skill and grace. And, you know, when they're on the field or the court or, you know, under the spotlight. And, I mean, and, and, and we marvel to watch that, you know, someone can, can do that. And, and yet then you hear about them off the field or off the court or out of the light, and, and there's no, it's not congruent, it's not the same. It's, here's discipline and grace and, and beauty, and here is absolute tragedy and chaos and train wreck. And you hear about it all the time. And you think, how, how is that? And that would be our life as Christians, though. There would be balance, it would be congruent, and it would be, fully pleasing to him the whole of our life. So the God of the Bible is a God who creates beauty out of nothing. He made himself known by what he has created. And the God of the Bible has chosen what's visible as the means to translate what's infinite and majestically invisible. The work of creation that the God of the Bible is actively engaged in is the, the creation of believers, those being born again, new creations, and the potential, or so, the potential of what we are as new creations rests not in us, but in God, praying that we'd have this vision, we'd have this understanding, this knowledge and understanding of our potential in God, not in ourselves. That we'd supernaturally realize it. We have more potential to walk worthy of the Lord than we can see with our eyes. So, so then he gives these four participles. These, How does he... Describe this. Well, so bearing fruit. Well, good works are the fruit of grace. They're the fruit of grace. They're not the root of grace. And Paul describes that clearly in Ephesians 2, 
8, 9, and 10. It's by grace that you've been saved through faith. This is not of yourself. He says that twice. And then in 10, though, as a saved new creation, you realize you're, you're from the future now. Who you are is not dependent upon you. It's dependent upon what God has created in you. And now you're to walk in all the good works that he's created for you. I mean, people get so wrapped up. Like, well, what are these good works? How many do you have to do? And, all, and it's like, no, no, no. You're just living out what God has already, already planned for you, already designed for you. And, and, and it, you know, so... What is the fruit? Paul describes it in Galatians 5. It's fruit of the Spirit. It's just love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. You know, there's no law against those things. It's cultivating worship, confession and prayer and thanksgiving loving and serving those around you. He, he, pray, he prays, it goes on, not only bearing fruit, but, but increasing in knowledge. In the knowledge of God. The way he's saying it is bearing fruit in good works, every good work, brings with it a deeper knowledge of God. And I take this to be real and tangible and concrete knowledge we often think of God only in terms of, you know, invisible attributes, but God's the creator of everything physical. Our knowledge of God grows deeper as we live out that which he has planned, the good works he's planned for us. That we'd be strengthened. Now, notice... Two sets of triplets. Paul does this sometimes. Strength, power, and might. Do you see that? That you would be strengthened, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. These are, these are strong words. And then you notice endurance and patience Enjoy it, which means the power of God is accessed in our life. We access the power of God. We, we have access to it in the pressures of life, the pressure in circumstances, which is what endurance talks about. Going through negative circumstances, we experience endurance. Patience, that... that usually is pressure in relationships, meaning having a long temper. That's what the word literally means, a restraint to not hastily retaliate. One writer said it this way. He said the word patience means the willingness to stay where we are and live the situation out to the full in belief that Something hidden there will manifest itself to us. Impatient people are always expecting the real thing to happen somewhere else and therefore want to go elsewhere. So the moment now is empty. 
patient people dare stay where they are, waiting to see. Are you trying to bail out of some situation in life right now? Maybe God, maybe God wants you to stay there. It's this odd combination. Patience with joy. I mean, who, who in the world can be patient with joy? You can't unless God enables you to do that. And so it's with power comes joy. So that we could do so in joy. And that is a direct response. He's, he's like on the nose with the Stoics and the philosophers and the, and the Gnostics who say, listen, no, the best you can do is just grit, uh, grit your teeth and, and bear it and never show emotion. And God of the Bible says, no, that's not how it is. I grant you joy. It is for the joy set before him that Christ endured the cross. His power brings joy. Paul prays. The Colossians would know it. Prays that we'd know it. Then he talks about giving thanks. So if we're not not seeking God's pleasure, we're apprehending it. We're taking hold of his pleasure that's already there. And then we're giving thanks for it. And, and we're not seeking to qualify ourselves for anything, to, to prove to God that we're worthy. We've already been qualified. Look at what he says. It's give thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. He's qualified you. We're qualified, like I said earlier in the beginning, we're qualified by Jesus' imputed righteousness, the, the counting of who he is to you. It's the only way we enter into the holiness of God, this holiness of God that burns 10,000 degrees centigrade. And we stand there perfectly safe. He's qualified us, not because of ourselves, but because of his grace. And he's delivered us from the domain of darkness, the, the darkness... The darkness of the enemy's grip over your soul. He's delivered you from it. The thing about darkness is it messes with your perception and it, it disorients your direction to, to, you know, to see things how they really are, to know where you're really going. You've been delivered from that. The Father has transferred us very specifically from this domain of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son, transferred us from darkness to light, from slavery to freedom, from condemnation to forgiveness, from the power of Satan to the power of God. That's why I say we're, say it this way, we're from the 
future as believers. Called to think and believe that's, that's true and not merely try to do, you know, all, all, the, all the good stuff. Because if that's all we're trying to do, we're doing that in our, our own power. And that's not spirituality. It's idolatry. He goes on, he gives us this great description, verse 14, of the beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins, and actually he's just getting started the whole next week, is the most brilliant, high, lofty language about the supremacy of Jesus in all the Bible. And we're going to look at it next week. The beloved Son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. It's in Christ we have redemption. It's unleashing and freeing to be who we were created and redemptively recreated to be. And this forgiveness of sins, it was a debt paid for us by someone else. It's sin. It was the hindrance. Sin's always the hindrance and the hurdle of peace and everlasting life. But the price of that sin's been paid, not, not by us, but by Jesus, the beloved Son. And with joy, we give thanks for what God has done. Let me ask you this morning. Do you believe this? Do you believe this is true? That you're a new creation if you're a believer in Christ? That God loves you. He sent his son for you. That he, that he wants nothing more than you to be filled to the brim with the knowledge of his will. Living out who he always meant for you to be means for you to be right now. Not in your power, not because of what you, but what he's designed for you. He's created for you. What, what, what should I pray for? Tell you what, if you just prayed this prayer, 9 and 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, these verses, pray them. Pray them for your spouse. Pray them for your kids every day. There's no greater gift than you could give than to pray this. Pray, pray this for your church. Pray, pray this for me. Pray, pray this for your pastor. How, how can I pray for you? Pray Colossians 1, 9 through 14. That's my answer. You already know it now. I've been praying it for you this week and will. I'm going to pray it now. So if you would, would you bow your heads and
go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I come to you with all humility. I pray this prayer over this church, over my friends here, over my own life. Lord, would you fill us with the knowledge of your will By the power of the Spirit, give us wisdom and knowledge. Empower us to walk in a manner worthy of you and please you in all things. Help us to bear fruit in every good work. May each good work increase our knowledge of you Strengthen us with the power of your glorious might. Give us endurance and patience to joyfully follow you. Thank you for qualifying us to inherit your kingdom. And for delivering us from darkness. And for transferring us to the kingdom of your beloved Son, Jesus. Because it's through Him alone that we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. And it is in His name that we can pray.